0: And I think uh, many times we assume that being a leader means being right. But in my view, the best leaders are wrong more than you're right because you're willing to actually challenge um, your assumptions.
1: Today's guest is a powerhouse. We have Nona Jones on the podcast today. I've heard Nona speak and uh, she just does so many things. You may be tired just hearing the things that she does. She's a writer, a speaker, consultant, and a social media strategist. She actually works with Facebook and is just one of those gifted people you talk to and say, man, she has so much going on. But what you might not know about Nona is her past, her story, the pain of her past, the hurt of her past that's actually come back to be able to shape her. God's healed many of those Wounds, and now she is the woman that she is today, largely because of those. And that's exactly what her book talks about. Her new book, Success from the Inside Out, is available and would highly encourage you to pick that up. Nona is just an incredible, high capacity example of somebody who is leveraging her gifts for the kingdom and is leading in so many different ways. So I loved this conversation with Nona. Before we get to that, we just want to remind you that we have a team of coaches and we love walking alongside. Of leaders, um, we're hearing all kinds of growth. From I feel like I, I'm actually moving from surviving to thriving again. I'm sleeping better. I'm getting my nights back with my family. I feel like on the weekends I can actually relax again. I'm discovering Sabbath for the first time. My creativity and innovation is going up. I don't feel like there's as much noise or headspace. All those kind of things. We believe that if a leader gets healthy you're just going to reach more impact. If you get healthy personally, your family's gonna benefit, your company, your church, your nonprofit's gonna benefit, your team's going to notice. And so as goes the leader, so goes the organization. Guys, we are so passionate about this. We have four coaches who would love to explore walking alongside of you. And a breakthrough session is free. So you can get a free hour with one of us to hopefully break through one of your barriers, see if coaching is a good fit for you in this season right now, we would love to explore that with you. So head on over to stayforth.com, that's dot com backslash coaching to see what leadership and ministry coaching is all about. Now, on to my conversation with Nona Jones. Well, guys, I know I say every week that I am excited, but yet again, I am excited uh, for today's podcast. We have a multi-talented, multi-passionate, and multi-recognized guest on the podcast today, Nona Jones. Nona, thanks for joining us.
0: Oh, thanks for having me, Alan. This is wonderful.
1: (laughs) I think after studying who you are and reading your bio, the main question is, is there anything you haven't done? (laughs) Like circus performing? (laughs) I
0: have
1: not done that yet, no. No, not yet. Okay, so that is the only thing Nona has not done. Um, So much going on. Of course, your book uh, that has just released, Success from the Inside Out, we're going to talk about today. You're a coach, you speak, you write, you pastor. Oh yeah, you're a mom of uh, two boys. Um, You've worked in the music industry. You do so many things. So Nona, can you just give us kind of an overview of your story and how you got to here right now?
0: Wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, to tell you kind of how I got here, uh, I will just tell you it's, it's nothing but the grace of God. So um, I was actually born to um, a mother who did not want to have children. She and my father had been married for 13 years, um, but she didn't want to have children because she grew up in uh, a very just dysfunctional home, a lot of violence. And she was one of uh, 12 children. They lived in a very small house. And I think she assumed from a very early age that um, the reason why there was so much dysfunction in the house was because there were so many kids and so little money. So she decided that she didn't want to have children early on. And uh, my mother also had some mental health uh, issues. Uh, She was in the third grade when she got expelled um, from teaching, uh, throwing a teacher down a flight of stairs. So she had a lot of violence uh, in her as well. And so when my father and and she got married, um, their marriage was pretty rocky to say the least. But when she found out she was pregnant, my dad was just so excited cuz he really wanted to have children whereas my mom was angry like she thought um I would be a burden and so uh, she wasn't very happy and about halfway through her pregnancy my father started to experience stomach pain so he went to doctor um, to have some tests run. And when the results came back, he was diagnosed with terminal stomach cancer and he was given six months to live. And, uh, you know, if you can imagine, you know, going your whole life, wanting to be a dad, and then finally uh, you're going to be a dad and now you're facing your mortality. I mean, I know he must have just been going through so much psychological, emotional, spiritual pain um, but my father, he fought really, really hard. And uh, instead of living for that less than six month timeframe, he actually lived until about two months shy of my second birthday. And after he passed, my mom uh, moved us to the other side of the country. She was really just following after a guy. She barely knew, but he said he would take care of her and take care of me. Uh, and that relationship ended shortly after we got um, got there. And so she moved us from New Jersey to Florida and, um, I think over about a two year period between the ages of two and four, four and a half, there was just a string of men that kind of came in and out of her life in and out of my life until she landed on a guy who became her live-in boyfriend. And it was really, I think at that point that my life began to change for the worst because they used to fight a lot. They would have a lot of verbal and physical altercations. And I think my mother's frustration with him just really started to to boil over at me, and she became very physically, verbally abusive to me. And layered on top of that, uh, when my mother had to work late or she wasn't around, her boyfriend would um, hold me too close to his body, you know, too tight for too long, and it just scared me. And so I had a, a fear of him and a suspicion of him from a very young age. And then at one point, my mother's sister passed away. And uh, she said she had to go back up to New Jersey for the funeral. And she said she couldn't take me with her. And I begged her to take me with her. But she said she was going to leave me with him because she couldn't afford a plane ticket. And um, unfortunately, while she was gone, uh, he sexually abused me. And that was around the age of five. And he told me that if I ever told her what happened, uh, that she would get rid of me. And so that put a healthy amount of fear in me, so I didn't say anything for a couple of years um, until I finally did tell my mother uh, what he was doing, and um, she had him arrested, which I was really grateful for. And I thought it was over, but on the day of his release, uh, she took me with her to the jail to pick him up and bring him back to the house. And so the abuse just it just continued from there. And um, you know, I, I didn't live in a Christian home; we never went to church. I never heard of. Jesus or the Bible or, or any of that. And so um, at the ages of both nine and eleven, I tried to take my life because I really didn't see any point in living. And um, you know, at school, because of all the dysfunction at home, I was acting out. you know, I was um, labeled a problem child. I was disruptive. I was labeled with a learning disability and and nobody ever really asked, man, why is she behaving that way? People just assumed it was because I was a bad kid and that wasn't the case. I was really just crying out for help. And so, um, you know, didn't know anything about church hope, any of that until the sixth grade when a classmate of mine invited me to church and, uh, I went with her, uh, really, I thought we were just going to hang out and have, have fun. I didn't know what church was, but I went with her and, um, I honestly, for the first time in my life, I felt uh, loved. I felt welcomed. I felt accepted. I felt like I belonged. Um, these people who didn't even know me just took me in and loved me. And the very first sermon I ever heard preached, the pastor said, "God is a father to the fatherless," and that just really piqued my interest because, you know, I I used to cry myself to sleep, um, wishing my father was alive. I truly believed that if my father had lived, that the things that happened to me would not have happened. And so, you know, that became a huge turning point in my life. Whereas before then, I was the, the kid that was acting out. I was the kid who um, just really didn't care about what people thought of me. You know, after really coming into faith and coming into the knowledge that I was fearfully and wonderfully made, that I had a purpose, that that I had a, a God, a father in heaven who loved me, Um, That really changed my understanding of who I was. And so after that point, that's when I really started to focus in school. I started to um, excel. I started to become a leader in organizations. And that eventually led me to graduate at the top of my class in high school. And I went on to college with a full academic scholarship. And I continued uh, in leadership roles, even in college. And Uh, you know, I'm fast forwarding through a lot of details, which are in my book. But uh, the reality is that turning point placed me on the trajectory to where uh, I have been in executive roles since the age of 23. I've worked in the private, public and nonprofit sector. Now I'm in the tech sector. Um, I've been in ministry in a formal capacity since I was 17. So I've really lived a life that's both in the ministry space, as well as in the marketplace. And I think, that God has orchestrated all of that um, so that I can bring my faith uh into the places and spaces I occupy. The last thing I'll say is I I think sometimes we compartmentalize our life. Like we think, you know, Jesus is for church. I'm not taking this to work because work is for work. Um, but in my in my view, I've really believed that our faith is meant to be integrated in our identity. So that's That's my story (laughs) uh, in a nutshell. Um, But yeah, God has been so faithful.
1: Wow, so much there. Um, Heartbreaking. And at the same time, amazing to see the resilience and to see what God has done um, in your life. Uh, Give us a couple of highlights. Some of the things you've been able to do, some very exciting things. Um, You've gotten some awards and a presidential award and recognition there as well. Nona, what are a few highlights and just moments you thought, I can't believe I get to do this?
0: (laughs) You know, I got to be honest, um, every day of my life honestly feels that way. Like, I I can't believe that uh, I get to talk to you about my life. Like, who am I? Um, I can't believe, you know, um, you referenced this uh, presidential leadership program that I did. Um, It was a program that President uh, George uh, H.W. Bush, as well as President Bill Clinton, they jointly do it together. Um, I was selected as, I think, one of maybe 50 people in the country to participate in it. It was amazing. Um, You know, just getting to even write this book, it's just it's mind blowing because you know I I didn't shop a manuscript around I, I I didn't and do not have a book agent. Um, the the way this even came about is nothing but God. I was I was slated to speak at a really large conference and I was telling a friend of mine what I was planning to talk about. I was planning to talk about the intersection of faith, career, and trauma. And uh, I mentioned it to him, and he said. You know, you really should write that in a book and make that available at the conference because people will want to buy it after you speak. And so I was like, oh, OK, well, that's not something I thought about, but I'll do it. And so I just took a couple months and I, I wrote it. And then uh, about a month, a month and a half before the conference, uh, my publisher, Zondervan, reached out to me just just on a whim and said, hey, you know, uh, we, we've heard your name. We, we would like to know if you have any book ideas you would like to submit for our consideration. And I was like, it just so happens that I have this uh, manuscript here. Um, I'd be happy to submit it. And so, you know, God has truly just orchestrated my life. I mean, the role I'm in at Facebook, even uh, that is a God story. Uh, I I was in a job that I loved right before this role was, was loving, thought I would do it for the rest of my life. And I was in prayer. Uh, This was in April of 2017. I was four years in to that role. I was in prayer one day about uh, God's vision for my future. And I heard God say, this assignment is over. And I thought I heard incorrectly. So I prayed again a few days later because I was like, there was no way I heard what I think I heard. And God said it again, this assignment is over. And when I prayed and asked God, Lord, okay, well then what do you want me to do? All he told me was resign at the end of the fiscal year, which would have been June 30th, 2017. And so uh, that would have gave me like two, two and a half months to prepare. You know, that day comes, I meet with my boss at one o'clock PM, gave her my letter of resignation. Uh, she even asks me, she says, well, what are you going to do next? I have to tell people. And I told her, I said, hey, I'll, you know, I'll tell you soon. I, I didn't really know. So I said, I'll tell you soon. We finished talking at 1.40. I get in my car, I'm driving home at 2.05, 25 minutes later, uh, I get a call from a 650 area code, San Francisco and um, answer the phone. And uh, this lady says, Hey, is this Nona Jones? I said, yeah. And she said, I'm calling from Facebook. And uh, she began to tell me about this role and how the mission of the company had changed. And um, I mean, the rest is history. It's just the way that God has worked in my life in totality just blows my mind. The doors that he has opened, uh, the, the platforms he's allowed me to speak on blows my mind. I've never emailed people and said, Hey, can I speak at your conference? Or can I speak at your church? Or, Hey, will you interview me? Um, so it, it's just God opening doors. And so that that just blows me away every single day.
1: I love that. Uh, what have you learned through your time at Facebook? I'm sure there's so many, but maybe distill that down for us. What are a couple of the big things you've learned in that role?
0: You know, I think one thing I have learned, and this is I think important for us as believers in leadership is to have deep convictions that are loosely held. And by that, I mean, there are times where, you know, I'll be in a a product meeting and I'll have a very strong opinion, a very strong point of view. Uh, I'll have my data. I'll have, you know, my case built for why we should do X And then somebody else will say something that I had not considered. And because I didn't consider it, uh, that gives me an opportunity to go back and reflect on my position. I think uh, that idea of having a deep conviction that's loosely held is so important when you're in a leadership role, because um, we know, you know, relative to the gospel, we know that the, the message doesn't change and yet Methodology changes all the time. You know, there is, even in the broader context of business and leadership, there are constantly innovations, there's constantly new data, there's constantly new research, and you have to be willing as a leader to be wrong. And I think uh, many times we assume that being a leader means being right. But in my view, the best leaders are wrong more than you're right because you're willing to actually challenge. Um, your assumptions so that's something that i've I've definitely uh, dug in on very deeply during my time at Facebook is uh, especially since I get to work across uh, regional and cultural contexts um, I get to see the world through the lens of people who don't necessarily have a western world view and so uh, it's really helps to broaden my uh, awareness and understanding and make me a much more uh, empathetic leader to the fact that there are people who have different views um, that very well could be right and I could be wrong.
1: Wow, thanks for that. So many, so many good thoughts and takeaways there. Uh, congratulations on your book launch, Success from the Inside Out <laughs> is available you. everywhere in the universe, I'm told. Um, man, what a labor of love to write a book! So you've been um, toying with this thing and loving it, and it's beating the life out of you, and all of that. You you made it here. It is. So why why did you write this book?
0: Oh man! So I, I wrote this book because uh, I'm a very I'm a very transparent person. I, I talk pretty openly about my upbringing, my childhood. I talk pretty openly about. Um, The trauma that I experienced and what I have found is that when I share my story, uh, no matter what the context is, whether it's church, uh, whether I'm speaking in a room of CEOs, whether I'm speaking in a room of elected officials, uh, after the fact, without fail people always come up to me and say, you know what, that happened to me too. And I've never told anyone. Um, and so I, I wrote this book one, because I wanted to give voice to something that, uh, oftentimes we don't talk about, which is trauma. Um, but then secondly, I really wanted to kind of, uh, deconstruct success because, uh, you know, the, the word success Means to achieve that which you set out to achieve. And we think that success is good in and of itself, but there's an interesting verse in the Bible, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. If you read the New King James Version, uh, God tells Joshua, He says, you know, meditate in the law day and night and observe to do all uh, according to what it says, and then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. The reason why I wrote this book is because when I read that verse, it struck me. The fact that God would use the qualifier good to describe success when we inherently believe success is good, that let me know that there's a success that is not good. And I had experienced that. I I had experienced um, you know, getting the awards, getting the positions, getting the titles, getting all these things, but on the other side of it, feeling exhausted, feeling depleted, still feeling unworthy, still feeling inadequate. Um, and so I wanted to deconstruct this idea of success in order to help people build a success that is good, a success that brings joy, that brings peace, that brings fulfillment. Because I believe that that's the will of God in whatever domain that we're in. So that's really what motivated it. And uh, I hope that when people read this book, they'll walk away from it uh, really knowing how to prioritize their life so that they can experience good success.
1: And what do you think gets in the way of that? What's blocking us from pursuing all those things that you talk about, peace, fulfillment, like the abundant life in terms of doing what we're doing? What's blocking that in our culture today?
0: Yeah, so uh I think I think it's two things, um, and I think they're related. Um one is comparison. I think the 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 biggest challenge that we have as leaders is we oftentimes use other leaders as the proxy for our own success. And so uh, you know, I'll take as an example, um, because you know they're they're friends. You know, you have pastors who have built very large mega churches, um, and people aspire to be like them because they're like, I want to have, you know, 10 campuses, 20 campuses, 30 campuses. And so then you start pursuing that goal, not necessarily because that's what God has called you to do, but because you're comparing where you are to somebody else. And so I think you end up exhausted and tired and frustrated. Because God may not have called you to do that. I believe that what God has created you to do, God has also graced you to do. And what that means is if God has created you to lead a an organization of, of two employees, uh, then you will find joy and fulfillment in that. But if he only created you to lead an organization of two employees and you try to build it into an organization of a thousand you're going to end up just really stressed and frustrated. So I think the first blocker is comparison. And the second blocker, again, which is related to it, is ambition. There is, I think within all of us, there is this this need to matter. There is this need uh, to, to excel. And if we're not careful, that ambition will become toxic and it will become misplaced because we, we begin to define our success by external indicators. Um, ambition relative to the kingdom of God is wonderful, but even that can become toxic if we lose sight of the purpose. And so I think having the ambition that says, I want to be this because then I will matter when I become that that's toxic. The ambition that says, I want to be this, or I want to do this because I want to make the world a better place, or because I want to honor God, then that's an ambition that I think uh, is, is something that will lead to peace and fulfillment and joy. Um, but yeah, I would say comparison and ambition are probably the two biggest hindrances to experiencing good success.
1: I love how you say that what God has created you to do is also graced you To do. And we use the term design that you're uniquely designed for it. There's form and function there. And when you go against that, it's literal dysfunction. There's so much stress, so much overwhelm today, which I think is pre burnout. There's so much going on in the minds and hearts of leaders. And um, the late Eugene Peterson would talk about taming that ambition. Like, God, how do do you tame? I mean, you're a go getter, you've done all kinds of different things. So I'm so excited. Uh, For this book, I think especially to speak to the hustle culture today that so many leaders are push, 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 drive, 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 but without necessarily knowing the why behind it. So thank you for this gift and for being so vulnerable to be able to share your story. I can't wait to crack this book open. Um, What do you hope that the stuck leader who picks up your book finds within the pages?
0: Man, you know, I hope that they find peace, you know, um, I've been in that place where I wanted more for myself or my team or my organization, um, than I saw manifested and it can be incredibly frustrating. And so part of the reason why I wrote this book is because as people are pursuing success, as you're pursuing, you know, strategies and you're pursuing all these things, I want you to also experience peace. And um, that is the thing that I think is is lacking the most. You know, I, I recently read a statistic that said suicide is the highest in high income countries. It's the highest in places with the most ambition, the most success and right now, uh, it's the second leading cause of death for people between the ages of 10 and 34, and the fourth leading cause of death for people age 35 to 64. So we have a lot of people taking their lives because they feel hopeless and they feel, um, to use your word, they feel stuck. And so my hope is by, by reading this book, people will will recognize that you were created on purpose with purpose. And hopefully you'll start to kind of strip away what I consider to be these artificial mile markers that tell you whether or not you're worthy, whether or not uh you're successful, whether or not uh you have achieved. I want us to strip away these artificial mile markers um, because as long as we allow them to rule our lives, we will always feel like we're never good enough. But you know, God didn't just create you good enough. God created you perfectly in His image and in His likeness. So that's that's what I hope people walk away with.
1: Good. I love that. And uh, I want to talk about barriers and opportunities here for a minute. It's a unique age that we live in. Obviously, you're in the tech space, so you understand many of the intricacies in that. We're talking about not comparing, and yet things like Facebook and Instagram <laughs> you know, kind of beckon us to that. So there's yeah. a, a lot of discernment needed today. Yeah. So what barriers do you see for leaders who want to live healthy today?
0: Man. Um, so one of the things that I, I do, uh, periodically, and I'll, I'll talk about the social media space because it does dominate so much of what we do as leaders. Um, one of the things that I do is, you know, if you go to my accounts, um, especially Instagram, my handle is at Nona, not Nora. If you go to my accounts, you'll notice I don't follow a lot of people. Um, I don't follow a lot of people, and I do that on purpose because I have found that the more time we spend on social media looking at other people's lives, the the less content we are with our own, the less we um, see the joy and appreciation in our own life. And so, I think in order to stay healthy as leaders. Number one, we have to be very careful and put a lot of guardrails up uh, mentally so that we're not comparing ourselves to other people. Uh, I would say, secondly, I make it a practice. Uh, I've kind of uh, abandoned my practice a little bit because I I just finished this one book and I'm actually working on a second one. Um, I make it a practice of reading uh, one book a week. And uh, I do that because, number one, I always want to challenge my mind with new ideas Uh, new ways of thinking. And um, I don't just read leadership books. I don't even just read spiritual books. Um, I read books about everything right now. I'm reading a book by Raj Patel called the value of nothing. And it's talking about, uh, the economy and talking about global economics. And so I, I read all types of books. I recently read where the Crawdads Sing." you know, um, I read all types of books because I think as leaders, we have to constantly push ourselves to think differently, to think in new and creative ways. Um, so I think that's another opportunity. And then I would say, and this is so important is find your tribe, find a group of people uh, that will not only hold you accountable, but a group of people who will cheer you on. You know, when you uh, do achieve something, you set out to achieve a group of people that are going to be like, that's the best thing ever. And people who, when you don't achieve something can actually look at you and say, you know what? I think this is why that happened. Um, I think as leaders, we, we really have to be a part of a tribe of people who can um, cheer for us, but also hold us accountable? So, those are just a, just a few thoughts uh, that I would give.
1: Awesome. So, let's talk about opportunity. The age of opportunity, some are calling it. What opportunities are there today for leaders to continue to influence others around them?
0: Oh, wow. Well, you know, because of course I'm in the, the social space, uh, I will say we live in a, a global age. It used to be that your scope of influence was limited to uh, the degree to which you could physically connect with people. Now you can connect with people on the other side of the world immediately and instantly. And you can have influence um, in in languages that you don't even speak. I mean, there are translation services that will allow you to connect with people in languages you don't even speak. Um, And so uh, there have been many people I've talked to who say things like, Oh, I don't do Facebook or I don't do Twitter or I don't do these things. Um I would say, you know, if if you want to be a globally connected person, you really do have to use the tools that connect people globally. So for me, that's that's the big opportunity is uh the way that we are communicating now is vastly different than we were communicating even 10 years ago. Um right now We have this huge generational shift happening uh, where, you know, generation Z is, you know, kind of starting to come of age. Uh, You know, I'm a millennial. And I'm on kind of the, the front end of the millennial generation. I remember a time when uh, we actually didn't have the internet. I remember a time when we had to pick up the phone and call somebody. I remember a time when we had to uh, wait for the updated version of the Yellow Pages phone book in order to know what number to call.
1: All right. Quick stop. Do you remember Juno? Remember the disks in the mail? Do you remember AOL? Oh, yeah. Oh.
0: Totally remember AOL. Yeah. I remember
1: the the original instant messenger.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we thought that was like the best thing ever. So cool. Like I I remember all of that, but now, I mean, this the the newest generation has no idea what any of that is. Um and so yeah, I think we just have to be prepared to meet them where they are. Um, and that's in the in the digital world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um so much opportunity. And man, can't wait to pick up your book. We could talk again for hours. But no, no, we want to mine a little bit into your life. I know you're a voracious reader and uh, a mom as well. I'm sure trying to um, stay connected to your kids and being very intentional about that. But how do you stay healthy? Get really practical for us.
0: So I, uh, I stay healthy because on, on a few levels. I stay healthy physically uh, by running. I work out um, five days a week and I uh, run outdoors. I have uh, a five mile route, a seven and a half mile route, and an 11 and a half mile route that I run regularly uh, in order to kind of clear my mind and just keep my body fit. Um, and then I hit the gym uh, every afternoon just to make sure that I'm you know working out my muscles and staying conditioned. Uh, I think it's also important to make sure that we eat well. Um, you know, I've noticed that when I eat a lot of junk food, heavy food, uh, fried food, all of that, I just I just don't feel good, and so we have to take care of our bodies. Um, I think emotionally, uh, we take care of ourselves emotionally by being very cautious of uh, the people who we allow to connect with us. So I have in my own mind, I have this idea that there are people who are assigned to you and then there are people who are attached to you. Mm. The people who are attached to you are the ones that are always asking you for something, they're only around when they need something from you, Um, but the people who are assigned to you are the people who are going to lift you up, they're gonna support your work, they're going to be the ones who are gonna make you a better person. And so make sure that emotionally, you're investing your time in the people who are assigned to you, More time in them than the ones who are attached to you. Um, Mentally, I think, uh, again, just making sure that you stay sharp intellectually. Uh, I recommend trying to read a book, at least a book a month. Um, You know, once you get to the place that you can do a book a week, that'll be great, but at least a book a month so that you can stay sharp intellectually. Um, And um, I think that's honestly the best way just to make sure that you are are staying healthy.
1: Awesome. Well, Nona, we are cheering you on at Stay Forth. Um, so excited for this book, the impact that it's going to have. If you're listening to this, um, give Nona a follow on social. You're a great follow, by the way. Just hope bombs dropping all over on social. And um, to pick up her new book, Success from the Inside Out, thanks for dropping by today and sharing your story. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Man, what a gifted gal. Nona's incredible and is doing so many things, but I just loved the vulnerability that she had about her past. And ultimately, God has used that to shape so many things in her present and in her future. I just want to leave you with this question. What pain in your past could actually shape your impact in your future? What pain in your past can actually shape the impact in your future? Ultimately, the pain that we have can be a gift to other people, but we got to do the work. We got to dig in. You can't heal what's hidden. And we have to take our next steps in order to see God do that. It's incredible to watch. Nona's life can be an example for many of us. And again, would encourage you to pick up her new book, Success from the Inside Out. I loved this conversation with Nona Jones. Guys, we want to remind you that not only do we have tools To come alongside of you in your leadership journey, we have coaching to come alongside of you. If you want 2020 to be a great year, to be the kind of year that dislodges something from your past, that invites you into something new in your future. That's exactly why we have coaching. Our 10 tools in 10 sessions coaching, we just see incredible growth with that. It takes about 20 weeks. We do that about every other week with leaders. Some do it once a month, but we get to watch those incremental gains in your life. Guys, we'd love to walk alongside of you and see 2020 be an incredible year. And Some of our tools are so helpful in goal setting and being proactive. Guys, we don't want you to be reactive in your life and in your leadership and in your ministry. We want you to live the life God has designed for you. And if you lead for the long haul, guys, you can do that in a healthy way. You can do that in a way that not only nourishes your soul, but nourishes those other people around you. So keep fighting the good fight. You can stay healthy in leadership. Guys, we are so grateful that you keep listening to this podcast. Remember, we drop an episode every Tuesday and Thursday. And yes, we would love to a rating and review. We'll catch you next time.